If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Medicine in America, hosted by Anthony Manson and Todd Harrington, shares the stories of physicians, other healthcare professionals, and industry leaders who are changing the way we deliver care. There's an episode that you should check out called Primary Care Reimagined with Subscription-Based Preventative Care Model. It's an inspiring call for a paradigm shift in primary care. All of their episodes highlight innovative ideas at the forefront of the movement to transform our healthcare system. Check out Medicine in America on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to Highway to Health. I'm Jeremy Quinby. Hope you're doing well on this beautiful spring day. It is May 2018. I feel like my energy is finally coming back after a long winter and a big push getting into this house. Uh, We also just added a new family member, a two-year-old German Shepherd Akita, maybe Husky mix. I'll put a picture up on Facebook so you can give me some of your opinions, see if you can figure it out for me. He's a sweet, super sweet guy. His name is Ezra. Took to the kids right away, and uh, he he was being fostered by my wife, one of my wife's coworkers, who had would have probably kept Ezra uh, if he didn't have a dog of his own, and and they also uh, just really like fostering dogs and finding families for them. So, kudos to him for doing that work. Um, he offered to take Ezra also anytime we leave town. So, it was a it was a win win all around. It's only been three weeks, and it's been pretty amazing to see the many sides of Ezra. He's no longer the sleepy, almost worryingly complacent dog of week one. He's now kind of surprising us with his energetic side and his adoration of every one of our four family, human family members. Not quite sure about the cat, and uh, that, that goes both ways. We had a little issue early on where the cat, uh, we, we we made the mistake of leaving the, the food out on the floor after... Ezra ate and he didn't eat it all. And so the cat went for the food. Ezra went for the cat. So Sadie is now uh, very skeptical. We've, we've kept them on separate floors and starting to reintroduce smells from each other's spaces. And uh, we've, we've been told that we, we need to start now maybe feeding them at the same time. So if you, if you have any other insights for how to, how to make this process go smoothly and get these guys together, please let me know. Um, uh, just a bit of business here and a reminder to let me know that you're listening to the podcast by subscribing to it. If you love it and, and want me to continue doing this uh, and have the means, would you also consider donating to this project? You can go to patreon.com forward slash highway to health. Just takes a minute. You can donate as little as $1. So happy to share this uh, conversation I had with Luke Peterson of Peterson Farms with you. He's a young farmer here in, in Dawson, Minnesota, way out on the on the western border, South Dakota, Minnesota area. Um, I met him through my friend, Dr. Aaron, who's been on the podcast. And uh, he he's uh, his, his wife is also a nurse practitioner. I believe they were, they worked together at, at some point. Uh, I met him a couple years ago, I believe a couple summers ago, we, we met for lunch. Uh, Dr. Aaron wanted me to meet them. And immediately, I, I was impressed by his intelligence, his sincerity and focus and patience, he, his, his dedication to the movement of transparency in food and regenerative farming is something that I, I've, I've you know, become more curious about in my own life, trying to gain a better understanding of 
where my food comes from, how I'm feeding my family, and why it's better for me. And uh, Luke really delivers in this conversation with lessons on the business of farming, why crops need rotation, why he doesn't need to use pesticides, herbicides, and the like, and uh, what makes good soil and how caring for soil, you know, the, the, the place nutrients live, where the sun's energy is harnessed to turn into, into that food, becomes our energy. And his doing this is how he cares for all of us. Here's my conversation with Luke Peterson. One of the things I, I remember when we came to meet you guys for lunch that one time and and just sort of hearing about your your background coming from where, where, where did you grow up again uh madison minnesota so madison like pearl county is that is that up by north dakota yeah so we're about 30 miles from the south dakota border right okay. in the center of the state okay so, yeah. and where did you where did you go to college i went to Moria tech for carpentry my wife went to ndsu for nursing what is the what is the carpentry carpentry program like at in college um it's like a trade is it like a trade just college? a trade college yeah yeah, yeah just the skills uh yeah yeah and then we went i was went just for building construction oh wow so did yeah. you what, what did you think you wanted to do with it um the reason i went into that was because in high school i loved to work in the wood shop i like yeah. to work with my hands my my stepdad was a cabinet maker by profession so we had the full wood shop downstairs and in our house and so i i think ninth grade or so i, I started taking wood shop classes just because i was like i want to i want to learn this stuff mm -hmm. and then that's all there was to that um once i got into it i realized i had wanted nothing to do with carpentry <laughs> <laughs> and at the time um ended up i didn't even finish my two years i went for one year got a certificate and started working full-time for a farmer in North Dakota. That was in Mapleton. Okay. Yep. So that was partially because uh, my wife was going to school full-time and just to keep up with finances pretty much. Yep. So. Was she in, was she in school full-time for a while after that? Must have been. Yeah, she um, continued on and became a family nurse, or a family nurse practitioner. So. Okay. And and then didn't you? I can't. Maybe I'm wrong about this, but didn't you have a period where you worked for a larger like feed company? Yeah. So um, for a short time. Um, so after we we left Fargo, uh, we came back. You know, within a mile of where I grew up, in the same section, about a farm place. And from, you guys, you guys bought it. Yeah, yeah, and then from there. I worked for the Department of Natural Resources, mm -hmm. and um, our job was to maintain uh, native grasslands. Okay. So I was working for a crew for the DNR that covered Region Four of Minnesota, the Region Four in Minnesota. So it covered a big area, and we worked on the road. And working on the road, when we had our first um, kid. Got to be kind oh, yeah. of, kind of, kind of a drag. It wasn't any fun. Um, 
we were gone for five days at a time. And, um, and so, so what do you do in that? <clears throat> well, we would uh, either cut buckthorn, we would cut down invasive trees. Gotcha, yeah. Um, we would burn. We were on a burn crew. Okay. Um, had a couple wildfires that we were on. Um, we would seed. Uh, we would take a farm that the state had bought that was just in conventional agriculture and then seed it into a native prairie. So, Did you have any experience with that before you started doing that for that crew? Um, no, no. I uh, worked for the state park before that, so I had a little bit of, you know, and that's still within the DNR. So they're, they're kind of related in a way. Okay. So, and uh, so then from there, when we had our first, first kid, um, we decided that we should start farming because I thought I had the know-how from my job in Fargo. Yeah. And I wanted to get off the road. And um, my wife wanted to go back to school. Yeah. So kind of um, not working for the DNR and her wanting to go to school, I'd have to be at home. Gotcha. And still need an income. Um, so we uh, started rounding up some machinery um, out of groves, out of old sheds. We bought a line of machinery that basically was either junk or <laughs> it was something that nobody wanted. So they had used, it's been used up. Yeah. Um, Did you have any experience fixing up stuff like that? Not, not a whole lot. I learned a lot when I, when I was in Fargo, when I worked for that farmer full time. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. He had a, he had a lot of acres, a lot of acres, um, and he had old machinery. Yeah, he he would use his machinery until there was nothing left mm-hmm. of it. He'd see no value in having green shiny paint. You know, right, right. He, he didn't have that problem, so they needed to be functional. They just needed to work. Yeah. You know, that's all. That's and I I got that from him. Is you know how to fix, how to get it by. Yeah, you know, do his job, and if it does the job for the year, fine. Right. But, uh, so once we... Because it's just season to season, probably, right? It's just season right? to season. Yeah. So if you can get by, I mean, that's what you have to do to get by. So. I mean, I, I learned a little. <clears throat> my uh, my grand my grandparents' family was, they, they did a little bit of, I think, feed corn. They were in Iowa. Mm-hmm. So they, they did a little bit of feed corn, but they'd, they'd raise turkeys and cattle and pigs and stuff. But I, I used to spend my summers, my grandmother passed away when I was seven, so I st- I still kept going down to visit him. They had they had lived on this working farm when he when he retired he worked for Cargill, okay. and my 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 grandmother was a nurse actually, <laughs> mm-hmm. similar, and um, so I used to go down there in the summers, and then I you know sort of just from being around every summer for I was usually down there for like a month or so, I got involved in in like you know detasseling deroging one summer and realized. I was just not cut out for that kind of hard work. I mean, I mean, or it's just, I, I had never experienced anything like what that kind of life is like, even though I'd been, I'd spent a lot of time on farms at, at that point. I was just like, this is, this is intense. Yeah. And then, so back to the seasonal thing. Yeah. And, and that's how I really learned about yeah. how, how transitional each of these things were. And in, in my off season, I decided that I had some, I had some time, so I was going to become a seed salesman. Okay. And um went into my local co-op and um 
they said, well, you might as well grow for us. Long story short. Might as well sell for us. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I uh, started selling with them, got involved with the business side of it. What, what's, what city was this? This is in Dawson. In Dawson. Okay. Yeah. And um, got involved with the business side of it. Um, it was kind of a, I don't know, it's without getting into detail, I just, I didn't like that kind of business. Yeah. I mean, it's just cutthroat. Um, you had to talk out of both sides of your mouth, to be honest. And I didn't like that. Yeah. I didn't like how we were going to seed meetings that the the growers couldn't come to. Only the dealers could. Uh-huh. And it opened my eyes up to... Um, who's actually profiting in the system. Yeah. And it wasn't the farmers. Right. It was it was corporate big eggs right. who's profiting and that is their only goal. They they didn't they had no interest in actually helping anybody. Yeah. But you know, it's their salesmen and that's their job. It's I mean it's it's the way with a lot of businesses, but I th- I feel like the the extremes of what I saw, I mean I think it's I mean I was in when I spent my time in Iowa in like the 70s and 80s. Right around the time that I think government subsidies were changing, farmers were losing their land because banks were taking over and things changed quickly. But now it's, I mean, it's, it was kind of like the, uh, the coffee shop conversation in the small towns was basically about how, how corporate had taken over their, their, their towns for for all intents and purposes. Yeah. And now I'm to the point where I don't believe that the corporate is, are the, are the ones that are taking it over. You know, it's it's the idea that I got to undercut my neighbor or I got to, right. I, I want, even though I could just be happy with, you know, the farmland that I have. Once it becomes a business. Once it becomes a business and it gets, once again, it gets cutthroat. I right. Mean, yeah. And uh, so I stepped out of that and because I started educating myself, which I had done for the first time in my life. Yeah. Started thinking for myself. Not believing everything. That, what was your what was your path of education at that point? Um, how was I getting my information? Yeah, yeah, I was just getting it off the internet. Yep, that's the only way I was getting it. You know, <clears throat> which could be good or bad, but right. but it led me to a, to opening up my mind and questioning yeah. things. Yeah. And then there are some things with my knowledge of where I was, you couldn't debate. You right. know, like it, it was just true to me. It was yeah. So, um, what were some of the, what were some of the big things that, that shifted in your, in your mindset once you, once you started doing the research? Um, like I just remember sitting in a dealer meeting and I was, I only sold seed for only a year before I was like, this is fishy. Who who did you sell for? I was, it was, uh, for Cropland, which is owned by Monsanto mm. and it was for decal. It's owned by Monsanto. Okay. Um, is is everything owned by Monsanto? <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah, as, I mean, not everything, but it, pretty much. Yeah, as as far as big agriculture goes, yeah, they have a pretty good handle on things. Yeah, so and it's uh, and it's not hard to get away from them. I found out. Oh, it's, it's it isn't. It's you know you hear a lot of talk of be- because of the the cost of it. They people think it's going to be too expensive, or the cost of of getting away from. Well, maybe we should go back to stepping out of the seed and start yeah, educating yeah. myself. Yeah, yeah. Um made the decision that I was gonna let some land go because mm. I was gonna try to farm organically. Okay. And at the time 
Um, what? How much did you have? Yeah, at the at, I had like three hundred and fifty acres. Okay. I, I stepped back to eighty acres because hmm. at that time I thought an eighty acre garden, this is going to be a lot of work. This is going to be difficult. Mm-hmm. It was overwhelming at the time because I had never done it, obviously. And uh, I got, I had a neighbor. And he was one of the few, there may be three other organic farmers or four in our county that I know of now. And um, at the time, he was the only one that I knew of. Um, called him up and said, we need to talk. Drove over there, sat down, had a cup of coffee. I said, can I do this? And he <laughs> looked at me and he said, why can't you? Why Why wouldn't you do this? Yeah. You know, I'm like, well, it works. It's not. It's not, uh, it's not voodoo. It's not the snake oil stuff. That's just not, you know, it's just, you know, for hippies or whatever. It doesn't, because <laughs> right. I, you know, at the time I had never, I had never been involved with anything right. other than what I um, was surrounded by my whole life. Right. Even, I mean, even if you have, even if you grow up around, I mean, I, I felt like I grew up around farming. My grandparents had a huge hobby farm and, uh, and I saw, I saw the farmers doing the work all over the place. But you you really don't have a sense of what it takes to do the day to day season to season work with rotation and all these different pieces unless I think unless you dig into the research or or have somebody you know that you you sort of grow into it through mentoring of some sort. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So from there it was uh, I got lit on fire in a sense because I was just so pumped up. Yeah. Because I feel like I have a lot of energy. And well, that's what I sensed about you. It's so, like I, I that that one time that we went for lunch and you were, you were like so excited by the stuff that you saw at this yeah. place in Minneapolis where they were talking about, you know, where where the food is coming from and stuff. Yep. And um, after that, everything kind of just piled on all the benefits that you can, you know, for myself that will be beneficial for me. Yeah. You know, as farming this way, farming as an organic farmer, and then the benefits for the community. And then the benefits for the soil, for our environment, for our water, um, for our health. Yeah. Um, so um, from from there, I went from being crazy excited to learning more and then becoming very skeptical as to if this, even if this could work mm. because... Um, because big agriculture is coming into organics because that's where the money's at once again. Right. So now I'm doing... So there's, a, so there's that shift happening at the same time. It is. But so I was at that stage where I was like, oh, you know, they're going to do this again, you know? Right, right. So then it was a big bummer. But now I'm to the point where this has always been happening. It always will happen. Right. All this is going to do is make more opportunity for me. People, people are educated on this already. I feel like, yeah, for the most part, and um, educated on what? Educated on on just on like for uh, I guess I'm probably talking about the labels on our food. When you look at a label in the grocery store, yeah, what does that label really mean? So like right now, I sell my grain to a buyer, and all that it has to have on it is a USDA organic label. Yeah, they have to see my papers. Um, and I have a certifier. I go through a certification process. How how often does that have to happen? Every year. Okay. All my grain is inventoried. Um, and do they do they test things? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yep. They'll have a um, 
they can come out to your farm on a random day ah. pull the pull a grain sample and test it okay so um <clears throat> so that label i feel on my farm means what it is yeah but right now 75 percent of the grain that's organic that's in the united states is all imported Hmm. And it's coming from overseas without any paperwork attached to it. The only inspector is the inspector at the port. And the inspector at the port, all he's looking for is invasive bugs. And if he finds them, he fumigates them. So now you have fumigated organic grain. And that's 75% of what's in our grocery stores right now. And that's the, and that's the, that's the corporate organic, basically. Yeah, that's the corporate organic. So, so now I'm focusing on... I'm, on becoming local and regenerative. Hmm. Um, can, and, can you explain regenerative? Yeah. So uh, regenerative agriculture, this isn't going to happen very fast, and it's probably the same risk and the same kind of crazy idea that I had. I mean, getting into farming was a risk and a crazy idea, and nobody does it. Um, going organic was a risk and kind of crazy and whatever. Now going regenerative is it's going to be a risk again, but I'm just moving on. Um, regenerative is simply creating a closed loop system. So right now organic on my farm means that I don't use synthetic fertilizer. I don't use any herbicides. I don't use any pesticides. I don't use any fungicides. And... Um, so I have to manage the pest. I have to manage mm-hmm. the fungus. I have to manage my uh, weed pressure. So um, I'm gonna go a step forward. Like, so I'm I'm getting my manure from off the farm, from other farms in the area, okay. for fertility, to replace the synthetic fertilizer. So what I want to do is I want to create my own and try to mimic a natural habitat. Kind of going back to when I worked for the DNR. So that means you have to have animals as well? I have to have animals as well. Okay. So we're we're moving in that direction. Okay. Um, probably start out with, with beef cows. They're a herbivore. Um, I need a more. <laughs> They're going to be my more. What other herbivore manure is good for? Yeah, they, they speed up the nutrient cycle. Okay. So right now, one practice that I'm doing is I'm planting cover crops after my after my after during um my regular crop so that crop may take 10 years to turn into available nutrients for um for a crop that i'm growing whereas if i had a herbivore out there eating it digesting Mm. it speeding up the process they could be available the next year and then i wouldn't have to go off farm and, and purchase that and transport and, and transport and, and everything else that right. goes along with it so so is it, what is how, how long have you been doing the kind of farming that you're doing right now uh, 3 years 3 years okay yeah. and 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 you now what is how many how many acres are you managing you still you still have 80 no, um, so I got the hang of things, yep. and that farmer that I went and talked to that looked me in the eyes and <laughs> right, said, right. why wouldn't you do this? Yeah. 
you know, he's just this kind of crazy old guy on the side of the road that everybody drives by every day. And he's just that guy that's different than everybody else. But yeah, very intelligent man. Yeah. Um, he has offered to work me into transitioning into his operation. Okay. So in the next couple of years, could be operating up to 550 acres. Wow. And that's without any of the things that we talked about earlier. Oh, wow. And it's, and it's a, it's a way of managing things. It's a rotation. Um, so, so some of that land will be dormant for periods of time and. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll give you our scenario once yeah, we have yeah. livestock. All right. Yeah. I'll just, I'll just go there. We're yeah. getting close to getting to that point. What we'll do for easy numbers is on 500 acres, we'll have 100 acres of yellow corn and we'll underseed it with a cover crop. Okay. So what we're doing there is we're keeping a living root in the ground as long as possible. So we're taking, we're using the plant to store the sun and the sun's energy in the ground and to take the carbon out of the, out of the air mm-hmm. and store that in the soil back to where it belongs. Gotcha. And, um, carbon is valuable. Yeah. Very valuable to me as a farmer. And then, um, how do you, how do you measure these things? Do you have a, 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 a tool of sorts? I use the Haney's test. Okay. So it's just a soils test that'll, it just, uh, is very specific. It's not your conventional soil test where it just tells you N, P, and K, the three products you could buy up down at the co-op, okay. the synthetic fertilizer, <laughs> right, right. how much you need, you know? Yeah. Um, it measures bacteria. It mes- measures, uh, um, fungi. There's, I mean, there's a lot of good fungus, right. which combats the bad and same with the pest or whatever, but, and it measures organic matter. Yeah. I saw, I saw a post you had done on Instagram of, of, uh, all these different pieces that should be part of the soil. Yep. 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 So yeah, um, that's a very long, broad topic, like what should <laughs> be a sure. part of it, but, um, we'll go into it as much as you feel comfortable. Cause I, I'm, I, to me, that's what's starting to become more my curiosity. I mean, I, early in my career, I actually kind of did a little detour thinking maybe I want to get into teaching nutrition. I felt like I'm dealing with a lot of different health issues with people, I want to explore this a little. I explored it from a very macro level because I started realizing as I got into it that, for one, dealing with people's food challenges, both from a health perspective and emotionally, (laughs) very complicated business that I needed like a PhD for in psych and a a number of other things just to get into all the micro aspects of that. So I decided that felt like a whole other career to me and I just decided not to go that way. But personally, I feel like I'm, I'm kind of exploring that more and more just in terms of like how, how I'm eating. It's where your food comes from, right? Right. It I comes mean, from where the, our health comes, comes from. comes from the soil. Yeah. So it the, is our medicine. It is. So if the soil isn't healthy, we can't expect to be. Right. So having healthy soil, and I'm not a soil scientist, so I'm, I'm basics. I know the process to build right. those numbers that the soil scientists tell me that I need to build on right. my farm. Right. So, but, but of the, of the general population, you, you know, probably more than 99% of us because we don't, we're not, we're just going to the grocery store and getting our food. Yep. Yep. So healthy soil, the basic things that I look at are, um, what does it look like? Hmm. What does it smell like? Yeah. Does it have, is it, is it bubbly cottage cheese or is it slated, um, like a slate brick chipping apart? Or is it hard, hard and crusted and compacted? Mm-hmm. Um, 
if it has a smell to it, there's obviously something in it yeah. compared to not having a smell in it. Yeah. Um, but I think healthy soil consists of mycorrhizal fungi, which is a web of fungi that can get into smaller pores in the soil that will deliver nutrients from the soil to the plant roots to be taken up. They're kind of the agents that make that all happen. Yeah. Yeah. They're the, they're the veins. Right. Right. To, yeah. Um, Interesting. And that's, that's, and then I suppose, well, bacteria, there's enough bacteria. There's two tons of good bacteria in one acre of soil. Hmm. So that's equivalent to two cows standing on that acre. And that's hmm. that's what an average farm in my area can feed on pasture, two cows per acre. So you think of the bacteria as the same as that. You would never, ever think of not feeding those two cows. Why would we ever think of not feeding the bacteria? Right. Yeah, that's... And then there's the fungi that we talked about, yeah. the bacteria. Um and the organic matter. The organic matter is everything that isn't just rock, basically. Crushed okay. rock, okay. sand, um, you know. But uh, organic matter is just my cover crop. After mm. it decays and dies, it turns into organic matter over time. Yeah. And then the crop residue. So, so, so back to the so to the crop rotation, or how how you're going to use this 500 acres. So, how how does that? Yeah. How how what's what is the my, the game plan? Yeah. So, uh, my perfect rotation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this is debatable, but I feel like mm-hmm. I feel grain is important. I feel perennials are important. So, um, I want to have a rotation set up. That'll have, say I have five fields, 100 acres a piece in this 500 acres for easy figuring. One field will be pasture, and that'll be my perennial system, and that'll be the the rest period. So that'll be when the land is getting its rest for three years. Okay. From there, it'll go into yellow corn, underseeded with a cover crop. From there, it'll go into soybeans, and I haven't mastered a cover crop on soybeans yet. It's very difficult. Working on it, though. Not going to give up on that one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, from there, it'll go into small grains. And small grains, it's so easy and so much fun to grow a cover crop under. Um, after small grains, it'll go into a legume, uh, alfalfa. And alfalfa's there. It's going to be my winter feed for the livestock. And it's going to be there to outcompete the Canadian thistle. Canadian thistle is, is the only weed that I have concerns about on my farm and I I compete with Canadian thistle by using alfalfa it has a deep root system by mowing off the thistles when I mow my crop and bale it um, it just takes the ability for the plant to take in sunlight and create sugars and stay alive but so it goes pasture corn uh, it right now I'm growing a tofu soybean and then small grain alfalfa and then we'll just rotate that Okay. And then I have the ability to be creative and take that livestock and turn it out onto my small grain acres after I take them off early in the summer. And same with the corn. And does that help manage some of the some of the weed issues or the, the no, um Canadian thistle or any of that kind of stuff? 
No, no, that it just would be an uh, another food store. Okay. Yeah. So, so I'm off. I'm always thinking. Whereas in a conventional system, where food, I was food source I, meaning for the cattle. For for the cattle. Okay. Yeah. Uh, in the conventional system, I was always thinking, what am I going to kill today? You know? Right. Right. I got to. I'm either going to go out and kill bugs. I'm going to go kill weeds. I got a fungus issue. I'm going to go kill fungus. What am I going to kill today? Is what all it was because yeah. you know the salesmen would just pound it into your head. What are you going to kill today? You know. Yeah. Now I'm to the point where is what am I going to grow today? Yeah. You know, if I have a problem, um, I ain't going to go up town to fix it. I can't go up town. Like I got to go to my field and stand in it and figure out yeah. where that problem's coming from. Yeah. So, and I can usually, I can, I, I, I can. It's, it's uh it's easily fixable by just growing something by mm. growing something different. But I think there's, as an example, I planted a pollinator mix around one of my farms this year. So that's going to be a permanent uh, pollinator habitat, which will stay there. And I'm actually bringing in bugs now. Right. You know, there's, I don't know if there's 1,400 good bugs for every one bad bug so it's killing 1400 that normally would have right you know so so you're basically kind of letting instead of you being the the overseer you're letting nature sort of do its yep i'm trying to mimic nature's model as close as possible but still i have to be competitive if i'm not competitive i won't be farming right and if within a business model you mean or with what do you mean by competitive i need to be competitive I have to make enough money to pay the same cash rent right. as the corporate. Sorry, I shouldn't say corporate. <laughs> as the conventional guys around me. Right. End of story. And that's that's fair. That's fine. I have no problem with that. Yeah. So yeah. So in in cash rent is uh, tough to swing. Yeah. I would love to own a farm, but it's it's very expensive. Right. Do do you foresee that as something that you kind of want to move towards? I would if I had the opportunity. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because um, if I owned it, I'd be doing some pretty crazy things on it for sure. Yeah, that may not benefit me, but would benefit my younger son or my younger right. daughter down the and, road. And and this guy that you're you're working with now, he he's been in the game clearly for a long time. So yes, is is that part of partnering with him now? Is because he knows the the business side of it a little bit better and he does yeah he um but he's he's giving me the opportunity to he does give me the opportunity to be creative that's yeah. for sure yeah but he also makes me brings me back to reality every once in a while <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know because i mean there's there's so many different influences it's it's a, it's incredible so but yeah. Yeah, it's a good it's a good mix. We re- we work really well together. Yeah. So I mean, I've, I've having tried businesses in the in the health realm. I I know the challenges of of rent, and I know the challenges of of employing people and all those things. And you know, it, it does get to a certain point where you have to kind of figure out, you know, what sort of what level of growth you want to. I mean, there's you know, there's a there are parameters that you need to kind of decide you want to stay within eventually. For sure. Yeah. If you don't know how big you want to be he'll never right. be big enough right so and and i was scared and i didn't want that to happen to me i was right. specific that i wanted to be small and specific and do something that actually matters right and so it was questionable if i wanted to move into an operation that size but moving into an operation that size puts me on 
more level playing field with the rest of with everything else i mean we live in an age with some crazy technology yeah that we can be utilizing it's not a bad thing to utilize them if we're using them for the right things and in the grand scheme of things this also helps me integrate the livestock aspect so i'll have enough acres to have enough cattle to actually have it make sense to get up every morning and deal with it right and not just working for free all the time (laughs) which i mean any new business has the same kinds of challenges i mean the they say five years it takes to kind of like get mm-hmm. profitable. And I always thought, oh, I, I'll, I'll, I'll figure out a way to game this and, and make it happen faster. Yep. And it's just, you know, there's there's always something that comes up that's it's really a matter of experience. Like it's beyond my scope and I didn't foresee this. And suddenly, as I thought things were going well with my business when I was I had started one in New York in Brooklyn and and then 2008 happened like. Yep. I had a great two years leading up to 2008, but then had to figure out how to deal with like, I got a bunch of employees. Now what am I going to do about my employees? So, yep. And with the sense of what I see coming in organics, you know, um, that scared me for a while, but now I see it coming. So now I can move. I know, I know the difference. I can, they're pretty easy to call out now. So I I can, I'm, I'm small enough and versatile enough where I can, I can move fast. Yeah. So, 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 I, I know you're, I've seen you doing a little bit more with like social media and are, are you, are you connecting to other people in the, in the U S now with using technology in that way? Is that, is that part of your, that's my plan. That's your strategy. That's my strategy. <laughs> that's the only way I can be transparent. Yeah. That label on the shelf, sadly, it's hard to say this because there are so many good farmers that follow the rules and right. go above and beyond the rules. Yeah. But that label is questionable. Yeah. The integrity of it. Yeah. So with social media, if you buy something from me, that's my way of being transparent to you on a daily basis. Right. Yeah. I, I like that. And I, I like that you guys kind of put that in your website too, that that's, yeah. that's, that's the purpose of it. Yeah. And it, and it, it makes sense because I, th- I mean, that is the way I feel like everything has to go in, in, in some respect at this point. And the way the, the the way that the business economy is starting to change and and adapt to that or adjust to that that new way of being i think is a really positive thing it's just that people can also keep telling you a lie over and over again long enough until you believe it right yeah <laughs> and and yep. there's and there's always there's always corrupt you know there's always these yeah. these people who are coming in and, and we i i have never actually heard the the statistic that 75% of our grain is coming from overseas so that's shocking i'm like still yep yeah, amazed. And it's sad because think of the money. Not that I mean, it's not bad to have to import or export or have free trade. Right, right. It's just whether or not it's legit or not. Right. You know, and they found out that most of it isn't. And I think the USDA's hands are tied. Yeah, they're not really the ones pulling the strings. There's a lot of good people there that honestly probably stay up at night worrying about it. Yeah probably can't do anything about it do you feel like because of all of this stuff and because of your need to to have transparency between you know you and your market that you're becoming more of an educator is that something that you yeah yeah not good at it but i mean but i'm gonna give i'm gonna (laughs) if i'm gonna give whatever i got yeah so Is, is that part of the reason for doing some of the conferences you're doing around minneapolis right now yes tomorrow we have a 
it's a, I don't know what you'd call it. People are going to get together on a Sunday afternoon and actually talk about something that yeah, matters. Yeah, yeah. And um, we're going to talk about why local grain is important. Yeah. Why why buying from your neighbor is important. Are you sourcing the Minneapolis-St. Paul area? Yeah, so I source um, grain to Bakersfield. Okay. And they're located within the food building. Okay. And what I do is I harvest my grain. I keep it in storage on my farm site. And when they need um, a truckload of grain, I haul it to Murdoch, Minnesota. And a guy cleans it, puts it in totes. From Murdoch, it goes directly to Minneapolis. So it, it almost takes, well, it doesn't take a direct path, but about as direct as you can get right. with with this system. And uh, Steve Horton makes some beautiful bread out of it. Hmm. And uh, they're doing really well with it. That's cool. And with, with, with selling to someone like Bakersfield, once again, the, the transparency is there. You know? Yeah. I know who they are. They know who I am. Solves a lot of problems. And, and the market starts to trust him and, exactly. the, and the food that he makes. And yeah. now the consumer actually has a legitimate source of something they need that they can go buy and actually make a difference. Yeah. And and then, you know, if also if, if you start connecting with other people that you would never have any access to through your community market through the internet and realize, oh, you're, you know, you're also connected to the same buyer or something, then you, you kind of build uh, the whole trust network, right? Yep. 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 So it's, uh, I, there's a definitely demand for this type of thing. That's, that's awesome. What, so what are you most excited about now? Like what's your, where, where do you see things going for yourself and what, with what you've learned in the last few years? Um, from here, I have to become a closed loop system. That's what I'm excited about. Cause then once I have it all, and I'm being greedy, aren't I? <laughs> like I want it all. I want, I want, I want the manure. I want to save my own seed. I don't want to go buy anything. Mm-hmm. I can get all that without spending money to somebody out of the community. You know, I can buy seed from my neighbor. Right. You know, if it's if it's organic and all that. But so I guess what I'm excited about now is just becoming regenerative, and that's having a closed loop system. And where you're, where you're not having to source things that have to be shipped in, and where you're, right. ev- everything yep. is yep. is local. And and so I'm gonna try to direct market my beef when the time comes. Okay. Keep keep that local. With my corn, um, we've had ideas of turning it into chicken feed, and or may, or even growing a polyculture chicken feed mix where I would throw seven different small grains in a drill, go plant it, let them grow. I would swath it harvest it, put it all in a bin, grind it, put it in a bag, and sell it locally. So there's a lot of benefits to that system too, I guess. So, so for, for a city dweller like myself, <laughs> yeah, I, is is there any way that – what would you suggest? I, I showed you our, our little backyard plot. What kind of thing could we do to, to create a, a, a closed loop within like our little thing? Is, it, is there anything that we can actually do? Yeah, chickens. Chickens? That's why I'm excited about the chicken feed. <laughs> <laughs> it's very hard not to to know where I'm coming from sometimes. But okay. that is the reason, exactly the reason is I can sell you a bag of chicken feed, which you don't have enough space to grow here. Right, right. So, I mean, that's as close as we can get right now. So, if you had the chicken so feed... So, if I had chicken feed and chickens, then I then I create my own you manure system. You would create what we just talked about. Yeah. yeah that, 
a closed loop system, you'd rotate your your garden crops with your livestock, which would be the chickens. Yep. And it, that's all there is to it, I guess. Well, my, my my wife's been talking chickens since we uh, bought mm-hmm. this place. So yep. <laughs> it yep. might be yep. might be the way we go. And eggs are they're honestly a lot of fun. <laughs> so, yeah. So we have we're 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 moving in that direction also on our farm. We're trying to grow all of our own food and store all of our own food. Not trying not to buy raspberries from California all yeah, winter long. Right, right. So we're moving in a direction of uh, same thing. We have our own chickens. We have ducks. We have a, a very big garden. Um, and then once we have our own beef and stuff like that. Yeah. So, but yeah, growing your own is. I mean, that's it. There's, yeah. And I and I I I know someone who was in Brooklyn who was starting these um, backyard plots. <clears throat> these these little brownstones in in Brooklyn are really not very much space, but she figured out that that each one of those you know little plots in the back could basically serve five buildings worth of food for the and so if, if as as sort of like a cooperative, if those people who lived within that proximity would actually put in thirty thousand dollars they could feed their family for the year from the back, from one backyard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The amount of space that it takes <laughs> to grow food. It's, it's that, that, that kind of blew my mind. It doesn't take much. So, so it shows you how much wasted land there is out there. Yeah. And the idea of feeding the world. Well, once you grow a garden, it just kind of, when you see it, it's, yeah. okay, what, what's the, what's the issue here? You know? Yeah. So yeah, grow your own. That's awesome. And then there is no, there is nothing more local in your backyard. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for doing this. I, I feel like I've I've learned a ton from from having this conversation. I, I feel like we should check in in a couple of years and uh, yeah, and, and have another conversation. See see where things have gone. Keep me in check and make sure I'm moving <laughs> in the right direction. <laughs> That's right. It ain't gonna happen overnight, but we're gonna get there. All right. Thanks, man. Thanks. Luke Peterson, folks. I'm still processing a lot of this one because I feel like it's one of the more important conversations I've had in my life, partly because I'm, I'm realizing now what what this means. Um, you know, Luke's, this is all Luke's common language, and he spends most of his days thinking about this stuff, but it should be something that we're all thinking about. And I've vowed since this conversation to not lose the wisdom gained from this conversation to continue to try to help Luke and other farmers uh, who are doing this work and the good business people in his industry who are also working hard to keep us fed well. Um, As I re-listened to this, and and Luke said, this one phrase just popped out at me. It was, uh, if the soil isn't healthy, we can't expect to be. And I get chills because it's so obvious and yet it's somehow so easy to ignore. As I, as I treat many people in my practice, children included, with chronic illnesses of, of the gut, autism, chronic fatigue, uh, chronic pain, I can't help but wonder how much of what I'm treating could be preventable if we lived in balance, or more in balance with nature and with the foods coming from properly grown soil that is well-maintained and cared for. I've always believed that uh, getting the chills is our nervous system's way of expressing this intelligence that we 
have in our cells that's agreeing, that all these cells are agreeing at the same time. And if my cells are right about this, which I think they are, um, why, why am I living in such denial of the way that I, uh, you know, I should be living and, the, and the, the, the attention I should be paying to the food that I'm putting in my body? One of my clients uh, recently said to me, you must be learning so much from doing these podcasts, to which I said, you have no idea. And I, and I sincerely mean this. People like Luke are giving me so much insight into you know, the way I want to actually be living my life. And I, I didn't even know I was getting this, uh, get, what, I, what I was getting myself into when I set out on this journey to do a podcast. Um, but, you know, I, this is just the beginning. And I want to try to, you know, figure out m- more of why we are s- struggling, you know, individually and culturally to get ourselves on the right track. I hope you're feeling the same way about listening to these podcasting guests. Thanks again to Luke for taking the time to come do this with me. You can check him out on Instagram at Peterson underscore farms. He's got some beautiful pics and uh, videos of his farm, his family, his day-to-day life on the farm, his thoughts and his struggles and successes, uh, sometimes in videos, which are really quite, you know, quite amazing that he's taking the time to do this. If you uh, also want to learn more about my project here at Highway to Health and what I'm building, you can go to patreon.com forward slash highway to health. I've got a two minute video on there of what I'm planning to do with the dollars that you donate. Thanks for listening. I'm feeling the love lately. Maybe it's the spring weather, but it's also coming from your warm emails uh, from all of you who know me and are telling me my face to face. If, if, uh, if you don't know me, you can always email me at jeremy at highway to health podcast.com. Send me your comments and questions. I promise to read every one of them. Until next time, be good to yourself, be kind to each other, and take care of your planet and your soul. Be well, my friends. If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Medicine in America, hosted by Anthony Manson and Todd Harrington, shares the stories of physicians, other healthcare professionals, and industry leaders who are changing the way we deliver care. There's an episode that you should check out called Primary Care Reimagined with Subscription-Based Preventative Care Model. It's an inspiring call for a paradigm shift in primary care. All of their episodes highlight innovative ideas at the forefront of the movement to transform our healthcare system. Check out Medicine in America on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.